Well, hello again, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am thrilled that you are here for episode 189, where I'm going to dive in to two more secrets of successful nursing students. One of them has to do with study groups, and one has to do with the personality trait that will make you more successful than any other. So before we do that, let's take a quick moment for a San Fam shout out. That's my Straight A Nursing Fam. And this one goes out to Deanna, who is in my boot camp. And Deanna says, Crucial Concepts Boot Camp gave me a lot of confidence heading into my first semester of nursing school. It was nice to know what to expect, and I had less anxiety about the unknown. I also really appreciate the support through the Facebook group for the members only. A lot of other nursing groups get a lot of questions about prereqs and getting into school, but this group feels like it's created for those of us who are in the thick of it already. Thank you, Nurse Mo, for creating a product and group that has been so helpful. Deanna, thank you so, so much for those nice words. And I love that you find the group helpful. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So if you're wondering, what is Deanna talking about? What is boot camp? Boot camp is my nursing school prep course that is on sale right now. If you're listening to this while it comes out in December of 2021, you can get 20% off and some really great bonuses when you use promo code CCBWINTER21. And that promo code is good until January 10th, 2022. Bootcamp does go on sale three times per year. So if it's not the right time for you now, come back. We do another one in the spring and then another one July for the fall semester. Okay, you guys, let's dive in to this topic for today. And Again, what I'm doing is I'm going through all of the 20 secrets of successful nursing students here on the podcast, kind of sprinkling them out here and there. If you want all 20 all at once, I have a free guide for that, and I will put the link to how you can get that in the episode notes. So secret number six of the 20 is that successful students very clearly delineate between socializing and studying, and they use their study groups very, very effectively. Now, the reason I talk about these two things kind of together is because a lot of times study groups, even with the best intentions, they often turn into social groups. So even though I do think having a social life in nursing school is really, really important, even if it's just a tiny little social life, It's really crucial to being a happy and healthy student, but you have to have some boundaries around that. The key to socializing and having that balance is doing it when it works for you and not when you actually should be working. So time and again, I have seen students in study groups, and what happens is it becomes not their biggest asset, but one of their biggest time wasters in nursing school. These meetings can quickly, quickly become social events with the emphasis shifting from studying to sharing the latest gossip, venting about a professor or an exam, complaining about things, gripe sessions, or even just 
straight up social hours that are super fun. Now, I think that's great. I think doing that is great. And if you want to do that, schedule time for coffee or what have you with your school friends to do that. But if you're actually meeting for a study group, then let's get some studying done. So let's talk about how to make sure that our study groups are actually working groups that work for us and help us meet our goals. So the very first thing to do when you're looking at your study group, step one, invite the right people. Okay, a lot of times students will just put out a blanket, who wants to study on Tuesdays at 10 or who wants to join a study group and everybody can join, right? So you don't want to make it so broad. You want to make sure that you are inviting the right people. And what I mean by this is for a study group to be effective, it's important that the members actually work well together and it's really helpful and beneficial if you all kind of utilize the same learning styles. So if you are primarily a visual learner, it's not going to be the best use of your time if you're in a study group with people who prefer to talk out concepts. You would be better served in a group where you draw things out on the whiteboard and talk through them together in that way. See what I mean? So you want to make sure that you're inviting the right people. It's also not going to be very helpful if the other members of the group are less motivated than you are. In order for the group to function well, everyone needs to bring something to the table even if that something is simply their enthusiasm and dedication to the study group itself. And lastly, inviting the right people means it's important that your group be an effective size. So inviting the right number of people. The bigger the group, the greater the chance that things will fall apart. The most effective groups are between, I'd say, three and four people. So you guys have probably, maybe, if you've been listening to me for a while, heard my story about study groups when I was a nursing student. Before classes started, I arranged to kind of preemptively make some friends because I wanted to go into nursing school with people, right? I didn't want to be just showing up by myself not knowing anyone. So I arranged to meet some people ahead of time, and we kind of became a core group throughout all of nursing school, and there were about seven of us. And the assumption was that we would study together and be in a study group. And first semester, we had a million quizzes, and you guys are probably going, oh my gosh, yes, me too, millions of quizzes. And our instructors encouraged us to do the quizzes with our friends because then we could see more of the questions and get more practice. So we decided, hey, let's let's get together. We're a study group. Let's get together and do our quiz together. We're going to meet at, you know, one o'clock in the student union and we'll take turns going through the quiz and looking at all the questions and really getting a broad view of this topic. So I went over there and some other people were already there and somebody started taking the quiz. And I think there were 10 to 15 questions on this quiz. I don't really remember how many it was. But each question 
look at the question, look at the answers. We talked about it, and it took about three minutes for each question. And I want to say there were 10 quiz questions on this. So we went through one quiz with one person, and that took half an hour. And at this point, other people had heard about the group quiz thing that we were doing, and they had shown up too. And so there were more than the seven of us. There were probably 10 or 12 people there. It was a bunch. And so then another person said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to take the quiz. And they did it. And that was another half hour. At that point, I realized this isn't going to work. I'm not going to stay here for five or six hours to take my quiz when I can go home and knock this thing out in probably about 15 minutes. So that was my first inkling that A, study groups may not be the best use of my time, and B, the size of the group really matters because when the group gets too big, things can just go off the rails so much more easily. Okay, step two. So step one, we invited the right people. Step two, we're going to define how the group will actually function. So if you can define how your group will function at the outset, you have a much higher probability that it actually will function. So I want you to follow some of these easy guidelines for determining your group's functionality. So you want to know when your group will actually meet. Be sure to include a start and an end time. If you simply say we're going to meet at noon and there's no end time, then there's no sense of urgency or pressure to get right down to business. And it can quickly become, you know, all afternoon things. So noon to one or noon to 1.30 or whatever it is. The next thing to consider is when will your group meet? Is it regularly like every week or every other week? Or is it we're always going to meet two days before the exams and go over things in that way? And then how will you meet? Are you going to be meeting in person, at the school, at somebody's house, taking turns maybe at each other's homes, or maybe online over Zoom or Google Meet, something like that? And then another thing to consider about your group's functionality is, how about a group leader? Does your group need a group leader or do you share responsibility for the group equally? And then the last thing to really figure out ahead of time is how will you actually study? To ensure that you get the best use of your time, you'll need to take learning style quizzes or know your learning styles and take those into account for each of your group members. Remember earlier when I said if you're a visual learner but everybody else is more auditory and that doesn't work for you, that's not going to be the best study group for you. So really determine how are we going to study and how are we going to use our learning styles to do that. Okay, so we've done the step one of inviting the right people. We've done the step two of defining how the group will function. And then step three, define the goal of each and every study session. Things to think about for how to study could be you could quiz each other for an upcoming exam. That's a great way to study. You could take turns teaching each other concepts. So going through whatever content was taught that week, 
take turns teaching it back to one another. You could work on a group assignment together. Always make sure that your assignments are approved to be done by group work before you assume that they are because instructors do notice when answers are all, you know, very, very similar. So just make sure it's okay. But if it's fine, maybe your goal is to complete this case study together. You could work on a group project. Another great tip and way to study is to break down NCLEX style practice questions related to the topic that you're currently learning in class. So those are some sample ideas for how you could study. And then step four is I want you to do something fun. Plan some actual social activities that are purely just social. So take that moment to plan an hour, a half hour, social hour, coffee meeting, whatever, with your study group, with your classmates, so that you kind of get that socializing, all those things you want to talk about kind of out of your system, separate from your study sessions. And then when you're back studying together, you can really focus on the work that needs to be done. So I know I told you a lot of tips and details here. This is also a blog post on the website. So I will put the link to that in the episode notes as well so that you can go back and get those ideas and have them all written out for you. Okay, so I also promised you the one personality trait that would make you more successful than any other for nursing school, and it is this. So secret number seven of successful nursing students is that they are resourceful. So if I had to choose one thing, again, this is what it would be. It would be resourcefulness. When it comes to undergraduate programs, nursing school, it just, it's not like anything else. And it's definitely not going to be anything like the classes that you took maybe in high school, even if that was recently or way back when, or your prerequisite classes. Because in nursing school, there is so, so much content your instructors have to teach from day one, there's really no time, no room, no space for hand-holding, spoon-feeding of any kind at all. This is the big leagues, you guys. If you are used to that, maybe from your prior classes, it is time to put your big girl or big boy pants on and you've really got to step up to the plate. Your instructors are definitely going to teach you the content. I'm not saying they're not going to teach you the content, but in many cases... It's going to be at lightning fast speed because, again, there's so much content to cover. And they do expect you to take some ownership of your education, utilize your resources, show up prepared, show up ready to learn, and be able to do problem solving. And that is where resourcefulness comes into play. Another reason that I would have to say resourcefulness is so, so vital is because you will be at the bedside taking care of patients. If you aren't resourceful, there's no way you're going to be able to A, survive that environment, B, get your patient what they need 
or C, think through sticky or complicated, challenging situations. Being a nurse 100% means being a problem solver, a solution seeker, and one who can overcome obstacles. And if you can't do that in nursing school, then it's going to be a very, very difficult adjustment to working as a nurse at the bedside. So what does it actually mean to be resourceful? And I bet you have some resourceful traits in you. So take a listen and see if you can identify some of yourself in here. And these are definitely things that you can work on and grow and improve. So resourcefulness is defined as the ability to find quick and clever ways to overcome difficulties. So one of the best ways that I use to describe resourcefulness is to actually show an example of unresourcefulness, if if that's a word. So I once had a student who was in one of my boot camps email me to ask me what an elixir is. She was going through, I think, the dosage calculations module, and one of the questions was about a patient getting an elixir of, I think it was acetaminophen. So rather than look up the word elixir, which can be found in any dictionary online or in person, she chose to email me instead and ask me, what is an elixir? And you guys, I really try to have email boundaries so that I'm not working 24 hours a day. I try to only answer emails Monday through Friday during regular business hours. And so what that means is she had to wait a significant amount of time. I think it was over a weekend. So she had to wait for Monday morning for me to get back to her and answer the question that she could have 1,000% found in less than 30 seconds by being a little tiny bit resourceful. In nursing school, you guys, if there's an option to reach out to someone to ask a question, realizing that, A, you have to wait for them to see it, you have to wait for them to respond, or quickly finding the answer on your own, I want you to take the route of finding the answer on your own because you're not going to have the luxury of time to wait hours or days for a response. Chances are you're working on an assignment, you have a question, you need the answer right away so that you can get what you need to do done and move on to the very next thing. So being resourceful means using your resources. And in the case of this student that emailed me, that resource was a simple dictionary. In your case, it might be some other things. And I'm going to talk about some of the great resources available to you in nursing school. So an example of a really resourceful student that I absolutely loved and was so impressed by was a student who was obviously disappointed when her school closed down at the beginning of the COVID pandemic and no more in-person classes, no more labs, nothing. So rather than throw up her hands in frustration, which a lot of us would do, right? That was a stressful time, really, really frustrating. A lot of students really felt lost. But instead of just throwing up her hands in frustration, this gal went to a feed store, you know, those feed stores for like farm animals, and she bought syringes that were used for 
the smaller animals like rabbits and things. And she took those syringes home and she practiced injections and felt empowered by that and felt like she could overcome this really, really big obstacle. She found a quick and clever solution to her problem. In other words, massive, massive resourcefulness there. So if you want to show your resourcefulness in nursing school, here are some key ways to do that, okay? These are my tips. First of all, really easy thing to avoid doing is don't email the instructor with questions that you can easily find the answer to elsewhere, such as the school handbook, the syllabus, assignment instructions, etc. Not only is this a huge waste of your time, it wastes their time. You don't get the answer you need right away. You probably get frustrated. Show some resourcefulness and use your resources. The other thing you can actually do is seek answers to questions as they come up, especially questions about concepts that you are learning. See what you can find to answer the question on your own. And if you truly, truly aren't able to find the answer or understand a concept, hopefully, of course, your instructor is there for you. Hopefully, they have office hours or are available to answer your question after class or even in an email. But yes, you definitely want to reach out. You don't want to continue not understanding. Something that you may see is a strategy that some schools use called try three before me or try three before you ask me. And what this is, is it's an attempt to get students to be more resourceful. So they encourage students, if you have a question for me, great, email me or come talk to me after class or whatever it is, come to office hours. But tell me three ways you tried to find this answer on your own before you came to me. So you may see that actually being used. And I would highly suggest doing it even if your school doesn't implement this as a communication practice, try it anyway. You'll be surprised what you can actually find on your own when you're being resourceful. And I want you to also say this. I want you to say, I can figure this out more often than you say, I give up. In fact, I don't ever want you to say, I give up. I want you to say, I can figure this out. Okay, so one of the key ways to be resourceful in nursing school is to know what your resources are and the ones that can help you the most. So your key resources in nursing school are the syllabus for each class. I don't know about you guys. I went to college a long time ago for my first undergraduate degree. I don't know that I ever read the syllabus. I took it, put it in my binder, and promptly forgot about it. The syllabus is actually a very, very important document, and I want you to read every single one. This is your go-to resource for most of the questions that you will have about how your class is structured, attendance policies, grading, expectations, your responsibilities as a student, and in some cases, the syllabus also has the class schedule, due dates, and assignments. Sometimes it's in a separate document, but sometimes it's right there in your syllabus. 
The other key resource to use are the assignment instructions that come with each assignment like case study or paper or discussion board post or whatever it is. This will have a lot of great information and sometimes answer the questions that you have. Now, if these instructions include a rubric, which if your instructor is designing well thought out assignments, it does include a rubric. You want to use this as your guide. This rubric basically is them saying, hey there, want to know how to get an A plus on this assignment? This is exactly what you need to do. So follow that rubric so that you get as many points as possible on each and every assignment. You can also utilize your school handbook. So every school should have some kind of a handbook associated with it. That's going to have a lot of information about overarching policies and expectations. And then your campus, depending on what size of school you go to, your campus could have a ton of resources available to you. This could be the university library, probably the resource I used the most throughout nursing school and graduate school. There's a writing center at most schools. There could be tutoring services. There could be a department that helps you with technology. If you aren't sure how to get Office 365 loaded onto your laptop, they can help you with that. There's uh, Office of Disabilities or Accommodations. If you have an accommodation that's needed, go through that office, use your resources. Another one is your textbook, you guys. Now, if you've heard me talk about reading in nursing school, you know that I pretty much say most of the time doing all of the reading is going to be pretty much impossible, take up way too much time, and not be the most effective way to learn. That doesn't mean I don't use my textbooks. Your textbooks are a wealth of information, and while, again, you're probably not going to read them word for word, they should be utilized as reference materials anytime you have a question about a concept. So let's say you're not understanding the staging of pressure ulcers. Go to your textbook. It probably has some really great descriptions and even better, some great photos or drawings, illustrations for you to look at the staging of pressure ulcers. And then with your textbook, whether you buy a physical book or you buy the online book, look to see if there are like extra goodies. So if you buy a physical book, look to see if there's an online access code. And with your digital books, look to see if there's a link to some extra online products, quizzes, um, graphs, illustrations, case studies. There could be a lot of really cool stuff that come with your textbook that if you take a moment to dive into can really help solidify your understanding of these core concepts. And then the other thing I would say, I know this probably sounds super obvious, but just simple internet searches, you guys. I run a really, really fabulous Facebook group, but so many times students will come and ask a question that really is probably better answered with a Google search, like, I'm looking for a nursing school in X city. Well, why wouldn't you just Google that? 
and then maybe come to the group and say, does anybody have any information about this specific school? I'm interested in your experience about that. Of course, that's something that you would want your peer information on. But think about information that you are trying to acquire. Could you simply do a quick Google search to find that information? It's going to get you the info much, much faster and in a lot of times in a lot more of a reliable manner than simply relying on your peers. And then when you are using online resources, some really reputable and awesome websites, and these are the favorites for me, are the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic. Whenever I was learning about a disease condition, and it's really something I didn't know anything about, I would go to one of these websites. Um, Stanford is another one that's really great as well. And what I like about this is that the information is for patients. It's not for healthcare providers. And when it's written for patients, it's going to be in a very basic kind of format, just the basic information. And sometimes when you're learning a concept, especially one that's a little more complex, if you can first learn it in a very basic way and then dive a little deeper and get it in that more complex way, the chance that you'll understand that more complex form of that concept is much, much greater. So if I had something that I did not know a single thing about, I wanted to start with one of those types of websites just to get the basics first. And then for online research, Google Scholar is awesome, as is PubMed. So if you're writing papers, you need to cite references for a discussion board post or a case study. Those two are great. And then in addition to your APA manual, and I really hope you bought the most recent APA manual because you will use that a ton, the Purdue OWL website is a wonderful, wonderful resource for helping you navigate APA style, APA formatting, and scholarly writing. And then when it comes to specific disease conditions, again, I talked a little bit about Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, all of those. If the disease condition has an organization, like a national organization, go to their website. They will have a plethora of education materials. So this could be the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, the Alzheimer's Association has a very robust website. And the Christopher Reeve Foundation has one of the best repositories of information about spinal cord injury that I have ever seen. So look to see if the disease condition that you are learning about has a national organization because I bet they have some really great online reference materials for you. And then for pharmacology, you guys, bite the bullet. Get a good drug guide. I love the online version of the Davis Drug Guide. Absolutely love it. I have the book, the physical book, but I find that I use the online one so much more. I can click around. It's super easy. Search for things. I absolutely love it. So drugguide.com is where you want to go for that. So before I leave you, I just want to wrap this up 
with three reasons that I want you to develop your resourcefulness for nursing school and how you will feel it pay off. So number one, it's going to save you time. And that's probably the biggest benefit overall. If you're, again, you're emailing the instructor and it's outside of office hours or it's on the weekend, you're waiting. You're waiting for someone else. And if you're trying to complete that assignment over the weekend or right before it's due, because that does happen sometimes, you don't have time to waste. So learning to be resourceful is going to save you time. It's also going to show you take yourself and you take your studies seriously. Your instructors will notice, and it is one way to make a fantastic impression. And three, it is wonderful, real-world practice for the actual job of nursing. Being resourceful now while you're in school, this isn't just going to pay off in school. You're going to get paid back for this a hundred times over because it sets you up for a successful transition to real-world nursing. So there you have it, you guys. Two more secrets of successful nursing students. That first one was all about socializing and making sure that your study groups don't become social hour and actually are working groups. And then secret number seven was all about being resourceful. So if you want to get all 20 secrets, I have put the link in the episode notes for you to go and grab that free guide. So next week on the podcast, we are diving into endocarditis. So come back next week if you're ready to dive into this common and often very serious and potentially deadly cardiovascular disorder. So if you are still hanging out with me here, I do want to talk to you about boot camp for those of you that are intrigued by boot camp and want to learn more. So again, I have the link below in the episode notes for where you can go to learn more and enroll. If you're listening to this kind of in real time when the episode comes out, it is on sale right now at 20% off. And then you get some cool free bonuses with that as well, like an electrolyte study guide and the option to get a free med surge study guide as well. And that's all explained on the website. So boot camp has been completely redone, completely revamped, completely updated, upgraded. It is so spectacular and I'm so, so, so proud of it. And what this boot camp does is it takes you through foundation concepts and skills to set you up for nursing school success. So we talk about nursing language. We talk about critical thinking, critical judgment, clinical decision-making. We talk about vital signs and abnormals and what they mean and what you might want to do about it or consider doing about it. I introduce you to care plans and an approach for tackling those. There's a whole module, a pretty substantial module on dosage calculations so that you can learn how to do them with 100% confidence and competence as well. There's lessons on NCLEX style test questions. There's a complete module on 
topics to review from anatomy and physiology like fluids, fluid shifts, electrolytes, acid-base balance, things like that. We have lessons on getting organized for nursing school and how do you possibly do that? And then a completely new module on writing, which I take you into Google Scholar, show you how to do searches. We talk about APA a little bit and a great tool that I use to help with that. And then actually how to approach the writing of a scholarly paper. So that's boot camp in a nutshell. There's so, so, so much. There's study guides, reference sheets, workbooks throughout all of it. It's all video-based and Yes, it is closed captioned for those of you that have been asking about that. Okay, again, link in the show notes and you can get 20% off until January 10th, 2022 when you use that promo code. Okay, I will see you back here next week for endocarditis. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 